This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and with me is Dan from Shares. Hi. So I'm back from holiday. Tom's been locked safely back in his cupboard and this week there won't be any mention of pensions. So instead this week we're going to talk about how to cut your holiday spending, why Google isn't keeping pace with Amazon, the difference between ETFs and trackers and this week we're joined by Steve from Shares. Hello everyone. So Laura you've been off sunning yourself and lots of people will be planning their own summer breaks now Um, but many people want to make sure they don't go too crazy on the holiday spending so i thought we'd look at ways to keep your spending under control firstly though not just to completely ignore your intro to the topic i brought a present back for you brilliant so normally when you come back from holiday you bring like some slightly rubbish biscuits or some really weird sweets that no one enjoys i've gone one better excellent what have you got for us i've just revealed that like a visual reveal on a podcast does not work (laughs) i've brought you Page it, the finance pages of Indian newspapers. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Marvellous reading. How did you know that's what we wanted? For all listeners, Dan looks the definition of <laughs> underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you can read about how your Indian counterpart... I went to India, by the way, if that, that's not relevant by now, but um, you can read how your Indian counterparts write about finance. Thank you very much. I'll read it on the train home. So, so old economy. Yeah. Very cool. They've even got this. So we've got the Economic Times, which has even got the same colour paper as the Financial Times. Definitely some copying going on there. And the Times of India, which has exactly the sort of the white cover, just like the UK Times. So yes, there's a bit of a crossover. Are they are they got joint owners? Do you think? Oh, I've not looked into it. I got them free at the hotel. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, back to what you were talking about: holiday spending, keeping it under control. Yeah. So more people are booking holidays outside of the EU. We found out this week. People are trying to avoid potential travel disruption around Brexit but also the exchange rate against the euro has not been so great uh, so people are looking for a bit more bang for their buck by going to some slightly further flung places. I did see Japan was on the list of like an increase in currency pe- you know, people going to the post office to get the currency out. Uh, I thought that was a bit of an odd one you don't sort of think oh normally I go to Spain but this year are going to Japan. It's quite a sort of step up in cost. Yeah, but it feels like quite the different holiday to me. Yeah. Like they had a yen to travel. Oh. oh God. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going back on holiday. Um, so, yeah, lots of ways. So how do you guys get your holiday spending money? Are you old school? I imagine Dan is a traveller's checks man. Do they but still I- do that? <laughs> I'm not sure. I did, I, I, you know, I used to be, um, but I've gone for modern cash i'm not quite ready for the sort of the prepaid card thing yet um no i just go to the sort of the the travel um bureau bureau de change i think is uh, beautiful as, french yes <laughs> as our french counterparts would say um and sort of get the money before i go away i don't get it at the airport i'm not that silly so i know that's i always a bad find thing. that just going to an atm in location is perfectly reasonable just take your debit card your credit card and get cash out the wall well, that's okay to the point where your bank calls you and says, um, I'm really sorry, someone's been using your card overseas. <laughs> yes, it was me, because you need to call them these days, don't you? In you, you can give them a warning, yeah. It yeah. Does, does, often does help. Yeah. So Dan's flag, one of the worst things that you can do, which is buying at the airport. Yeah. So oh, I'd like to always say avoid that. that. It's not, I, I'd like to clarify that I, 
I don't buy at the airport, but that is one of the bad things to do. Yeah, yeah. so definitely don't leave it that last minute. But there's lots of um, credit cards now that you can get where rather than walking around armed with cash and being a mugger's paradise on holiday, um, lots of credit cards that don't charge you foreign transaction fees and that will give you a really good exchange rate. So that's partly how... Monzo, which I know you guys were talking about in the podcast last week, um, that's partly how Monzo rose to prominence was partly because it's really good for using abroad. Mm. Um, I've got Halifax do an equivalent, which isn't quite so snazzy as Monzo and it doesn't come in a jazzy colour, but it does essentially the same thing. So that's what I use when I'm abroad. But yeah, I'm with you, Steve. I just get money out in the ATM now. I, I kind of Probably figure, not the best Well, I kind of figure a few hundred pounds. I mean, the, the, the amount you're going to lose on the exchange rates is going to be pennies. Um, so unless you're taking away an awful lot of money, which is more than I tend, tend to do, um, it doesn't really make much difference to me. Clearly, Dan's taking away loads of money. Well, yeah, you never do you know. you have to declare it, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what amazing tat you can find when you're on holiday that you need to buy. So I think um, the big, the good thing about doing it now, if you're planning ahead for your summer holidays, if you want to apply for one of these credit cards, it can take a bit of time for it to come through. So to avoid that last minute dash, it's a good idea to um, go through and have a look. So Monzo, Halifax Clarity credit card is another one. And you can take out cash on that as well at decent rates. Um, and otherwise, yeah, Money Saving Expert has a very good thing on finding cash. So if you're in the Dan school of thinking and you want to take out all your cash before you go you can search on there and find the best rates local to you yeah but i I was reading about mastercard and visa were cutting their the fees on overseas spending as well so obviously this is um i think there's lots of people worried that like if they do go to a shop on the holiday that they'll be stung with loads of extra charges so i guess that's some good news i was also reading about um i I don't know when you go on holiday you you quite often ask in a shop do you want to pay in the local currency or Mm. do you want to pay in pounds this is a really big scam yeah dynamic currency conversion Mm. is sort of called in the industry (coughs) so um and i think that the sort of the wisdom is you should always go for the local currency shouldn't you Um, otherwise you're going to get a terrible exchange rate but i've been in that position before where they hand it to you and you just get a bit flummoxed and the wording around it is not that clear and then you just push a button because you're under pressure and you end up paying the wrong thing and you basically get a terrible exchange rate so I, there was a really good article last year in, in one of the papers where two people went to berlin and they both bought exactly the same things um and they used one one did everything in euros and one did everything converting it to pounds and in the end it was a 7.5 percent difference in cost so the person who'd, who'd mm. converted everything to pounds was spending that bit more i mean it's, it's quite interesting isn't it so, that is really interesting yeah. that's quite, that's quite a lot, lot isn't it? yeah it is a lot i mean i guess it's you know if, if, across a weekend it may only add up to sort of 20 30 pounds but um i guess if you're going away for a you know a couple of weeks holiday with family of four then yeah that'd be it also props to that journalist for convincing their editor that they need to go to berlin for a weekend for the piece (laughs) and take a mate yeah exactly (laughs) bravo so we've had a request in from a listener this week so we always go on about people getting in touch with questions and loads of people have which is great so we're going to start tackling them each week the first one is asking what the difference between an etf or an exchange traded fund and a tracker is so dan maybe first explain what an etf is so yeah an exchange traded fund is better known as an etf so this is a um it's a fund you buy shares in it through the stock market and it tracks the performance of a specific index so if you for example if you want to track 
how the FTSE 100 index is performing. So let's say the FTSE 100 goes up by 5% in a week. Your ETF would should mirror that exact performance. Now, you, the next thing you're thinking is, well, hang on in a minute. Is, isn't that a tracker fund in the traditional sense? It took the words right out of yeah, my mouth. It is. The answer is yes. Um, but it, it, it's, you know, which should you buy is all down to how often you want to be putting money into it and how you hold it. So I reckon a good parallel for it is it's a bit like the difference between a fund and an investment trust, right? One is yeah. um, listed, so an investment trust and an ETF are listed on the stock exchange. They have daily price, well, they have pricing throughout the day and you can trade them like a share. Whereas tracker funds are more like funds where they're still open-ended, but you're only going to get pricing once a day. Exactly. So if you if you were quite um, wanting that specific price, go for an ETF because you you'll, you'll know exactly. But with a fund, you may not know until it's the, the deal has gone through, isn't it? So until the next day to find out exactly what you spent. But also, if if you buy um, an ETF, it's it tends to be the same transaction cost as buying a share, which on most investment platforms is higher than if you buy a fund. But most of these investment platforms will give you like a, a custody charge. So it, it's the, the the price you have to pay to let someone else look after your investments, um, look after them for you. Uh, I'm not saying as in giving advice, but they're just, they're holding these assets for you. Um, some investment platforms will have a cap on the charges they do for um, ETFs and stocks. Um, some of them may, you know, particularly if, if you're investing lots of money into a tracker fund, um, there may be a sort of, there's no cap on your fees. So it, but it, this does vary from provider to provider. So it, it does, basically, you need to read the terms and conditions of all the charges associated with stocks, ETFs, and funds, um, and then work out what's best for you in the long term. But essentially, they do, they're doing the same thing, which is ultimately the answer. So it, it's... But BTS also an emerging market, so remember that they, they also can be thematic, so you can build your own index. So you know trackers are really easy to track mainstream indexes like the, the S&P or the FTSE 100. But if you want to track, say, I don't know, artificial intelligence stocks, cybersecurity stocks or, or industrial companies, then you can, you know, an ETF provider can build an index for you so you can track those very specific themes, which is something that's not easily attainable yeah. in formal. Well, I'm going to say, the, the, with, with that, you know, that's correct. With tracker funds, um, do tend to be much more mainstream things, don't they? So you get, you actually get quite a lot of the high street banks will offer these products. So people like Halifax and Virgin Money. I mean, Virgin Money have been criticised in the past for charging 1% a year for their product that tracks the FTSE 100. So you can get an ETF that charges you 0.07%. So really, you, you know, Virgin Money came under a lot of pressure and they've cut their fee to 0.6%. But you do get people like Scottish Widows are still charging one percent. So you don't need you don't mm. need to pay all this um, lots of money for these mainstream ones. But for the niche index that you may find in the world of ETS, you probably find that the fees are a bit higher on those mm. ones. And then the other thing that you probably need to look at, which is taking it on a step further, which might have more impact for some people, is whether it's physical or synthetic in an ETF which sounds very technical, but it basically means whether that ETF is buying up the actual shares that it's tracking of the companies that it's tracking or whether it's doing it via complicated derivative stuff that I don't understand. 
Very complicated stuff, I think. Yeah. So it, it, it's you know, if you don't understand the product, uh, I, I, you know, I suggest don't delve into these things um, because the, you know, there are much more simple to understand investments out there. And if you're particularly if you're new to investing and you come across such terminology like synthetic stuff, you, know, you probably want to think twice and, uh, unless you've got someone who can really help to explain it and understand the risks that come with these products. Yeah, exactly. So I would say physical is better. Yes. And so, Steve, you've been looking at why Google is lagging Amazon in the race of the tech giants. A lot of people sort of look at both these companies and think they're unstoppable, but um, there definitely seems to be some cracks in Google, isn't there? At the yeah, I mean, it's been quite fascinating last week or so. We've had all the big technology companies from the US announcing their, their last quarterly results. And, and, and something that really stood out to me is, I mean, we kind of look at Google as it's Alphabet, as it's officially called these days. As, as they're kind of one of the leaders in the last two decades or so of, of technology and innovation. And uh, it's become a kind of euphemism for search internet, hasn't it? Um, it still gets 85% of its, its revenue from internet searching and advertising on the internet. But Amazon is increasingly moving into that space now. And, and that, that's where it's, it's quite interesting to see the dynamics. Google's growth rate was 17% over this last quarter to, to the end of March. Now, this is the first time in... in Ages, I can't remember how long exactly, but ages since it's been lower than 20%. And, and um, Amazon's um, search business was up uh, 36%. Now, it's coming from a lower base, but obviously you think, well, if I want to buy a product, um, am I like to buy it at Amazon? Well, there's a fairly high chance. Why bother going and searching the product at Google first just to get reference to an Amazon website? So I'm going increasingly to Amazon directly, then searching for the product. So it's increasingly drawing advertising um, uh, bucks away from, from Google. Now, whether this is a long-term trend or whether it's just a, you know, a, a very fleeting coincidental situation, that's hard, hard to say. But it occurs to me that, I mean, Google's been around for so long, it's had so many fingers in so many parts. You might remember a while ago it, it launched its own mobile phones called the Nexus, and they were an absolute disaster. Yeah. Now it's relaunched a whole new set of phones called, it's called the Pixel range. Now they're, they're, up, up to, they're rated by um, reviewers to be as good as iPhones and Samsung Galaxies and so on. But fundamentally, it just seems a bit of a bizarre market to go into. I mean, they, they've not got any scale in it. And, it. and, you know, they've got a big cloud business. But, you know, again, they're well behind Amazon in terms of Amazon Web Services. The, the, the um, equivalent growth rates were about 25%. That's how Google wrapped up all of its other sort of stuff into um, other revenues. 25% growth last quarter versus AWS, Amazon Web Services, 41% growth. So they seem to be... They're not really going into markets and taking control and leading these markets. They seem to be playing increasingly second fiddle to, to many of their rivals. So um, it's something to watch down the line, I would have thought. Well, I saw this really fascinating stat that was in an article recently that Google, um, I guess like most companies that are innovating all the time, they're, they're constantly launching new things. But Google's been sort of closing down stacks of stuff recently. And so far this year... Um, a Google-branded product, feature, or service has died on average every nine days. And by oh, wow, yeah. So by died, I guess that's a bit of a strong word, but meaning either been closed down or, or it's sort of just been decision been made to to run down. 
um, over sort of the, the, the coming months, weeks or months. I mean, you've got to remember they, they've got a, a big army in, in other bets. So this is the separate business to the advertising business. And, and they are very much interested in blue sky stuff. Now, when you're, when you're playing in the blue sky arena, of course, most of your bets are going to come, come to nothing. Um, on the hope that one or two of them will, will turn to something significant. So inevitably, I suppose, there's going to be a, a constant transition of, of, of closing stuff down, rethinking and reinvesting money to something that they think has got more promise. I guess there's an element of trust as well, because if you think that you sign up for one of their services, uh, you get used to it, you know, if they're continuing to shut things down, you know, people are going, well, hang on a minute, well, you know, I'm just getting used to this service. Is it going to be there in two to three years' time? Or, you know, do, you know shall I not take that risk? I'll go with someone a bit more sort of safe and boring, but at least I know that they're going to be there. I mean, I don't know if this, yeah. this is happening in, in, in mainstream services or, or not. But, I mean, I, I take your point. And, and Google Assistant's a really interesting one. It's personal assistance. <clears throat> but, again, it's, it's um, you know, who's really heard of Google Assistant relative to Amazon Alexa? And uh, <clears throat> despite my, my partner recently refusing to accept Alexa and kept calling it Elisa, um, <laughs> ultimately Alexa's got a real kind of um, dominant position in the marketplace now. And, and Google Assistant just doesn't have that cachet. No, that's right. I mean, I was, this article I was reading, it was coming across um, talking about the number of active versus not active products anymore, saying that it's become such a cult people following sort of the, the path of google they, there's websites called the google cemetery killed by google.com and, and there's more and more of them and, it, and it, you know shows that if this if it's reaching the sort of this mainstream it shows that people are um you know they're not just having a chuckle at what's going on they're, they're sort of saying you know this is a business that's um is it trying to do too much or is it should it be you know, the different departments sort of talking to each other a bit more. Um, I, I don't know how, how the business sure, is run. That, it's a fair point. I mean, and I'll go back to uh, Jeff Bezos at Amazon. I mean, his uh, policy is very much identify a promising market, go into it in a big way and dominate it, as opposed to having lots of different markets where you're kind of a player here, kind of a player there. Yeah. And that seems to be where Google's found itself. And, it's, and that's a, you know, a bit worrying, I would have thought, for the long-term future. I feel like some of that comes from their structure, though, right? Because Google has this ability where they let employees work on their own side projects um, during company time. And sometimes that will, in the hope that it will become that next big product, like you say. So I think that might be, I, many people are going to correct me that I'm wrong here, but I think that might be where Google Maps originated from, someone's side project that then turned into a bigger thing. And that's massive now. So I guess they come at it from the opposite end of Amazon of see what our great and talented people can come up with and see if that works rather than target the area of the market where there's a need and create something for that. Yeah, I mean, it might simply be a case of, you know, <clears throat> trying to start industries and businesses rather than you know, trying to wait for someone to start them and then go in and, and dominate them. It's, <clears throat> it's quite reasonable. And so then, Dan, I saw some news this week that I knew you would love. So there was talk <laughs> of scrapping one and two P coins. What? I know. I knew you'd be scared. But don't worry. There's been a last minute reprieve by the government and they're not going to scrap them. Thank You're goodness. the only person I know that uses one and two P pieces for your one P challenge. It's true, yes. I mean, um, the, what my one P challenge is still still going on. Do and you want to recap it for non-regular listeners? So this is where I've got a shoebox, and every day I add one P more than I did the, from the previous day into this savings box with the goal of having. 600 something pounds at the end of a year um i did notice that monzo have 
obviously listened to our podcast a lot. And on their website last week, they were having the Monzo 1P Savings Challenge, as if it, they'd just come up with the, the idea. I saw it mentioned somewhere <coughs> else as well, I think. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I stole the idea for somewhere else. but No, no, no. Yeah. Claim it as your original. <laughs> it sounds like there could be an awful lot of heavy shoeboxes yeah. around here, though. <laughs> well, this is it. I, the other day, I thought, oh... Um, I, I needed some cash and I thought, well, there's one place in my house I know that there's some cash. <laughs> you didn't raid the savings box. <laughs> so I had pot. to raid the savings box um, and it was so, because it's so heavy. I thought, oh God, it's going to fall apart because like, the, the, the lesson here is you must tape it, tape around it so you can't take the lid off. Uh, He's um, one we made earlier. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I thought, okay, well, this is terrible. I must put the money back. But so I was, I was having a look around um, just this idea of the savings challenge anyway. And I, and I, and our, our dearest friends, Monzo, they, they thought, okay, clearly one P is not good enough. They were taking it to another level of a pound a week. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe so Laura, maybe now that you all come back from your holiday, you're refreshed. You've got um, your minds in a, in a good place. Maybe do you think you could save a pound the pound a week challenge. A pound a week challenge. What? So then next week I do two pounds. Yeah, but the problem is when you get to those. Oh, that's going to rack up. Do you, do you double it every every week? Yeah. So when you get well, to you like, might be affordable. Well, yeah. So so you get to week forty. Um. <laughs> oh no. Basically, the last whatever it's the last sort of three months. You're looking at four, at least forty pounds a week. Uh, oh, you're you know, you're talking about adding up. one pound per week. Oh yeah. So so every not so, doubling it. No no so no no not yeah. doubling no so every <laughs> so say doubling it. So week four would be four pounds. Week five five pounds. Um. Obviously, the, you know, the, the amount of money you have at the end of it is quite good, but um, I think it's a bit punishing, really. You know, I just can't believe anyone will be able to sort of save, I'm going to say £40 this week, 41 next week, unless, you, of course, you've got loads of money. That mm. seems like a lot. I, I'm yeah. glad that you nominated me for this one. You yeah. get to keep the one where you put coppers yes. in a pot. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they've. Um, I was looking at some great stats this week. Um, basically, more uh, copper coins end up getting thrown away than actually get spent. Wow, God, that's terrible. I mean, you should be saving them. I did. Oh, I must say, I did see some um, comment in the press about the potentially could they get rid of them, and it was sort of the fear that shopkeepers would just round up prices to the nearest five mm. p, which is you know no good for anyone. But um, but yeah, it shows that you know people sort of do dismiss them or just chuck them this, away, but this, they still have a role in our lives. Don't and this they? interesting so, pricing dynamics. It's, it's um, psychological. I mean, that's why you get prices like three ninety nine because mm. four pound is a barrier. Yes, three ninety nine. Yeah. It's seen as less than four pound. It makes it an easier sale. So that's one reason why retailers always have three ninety five, ten ninety five, mm. ten ten ninety nine. I can't remember the last time I actually had a copper though. I can't remember the last time I paid for something in cash. Well, you're this modern. You're the modern generation, aren't you? So what? I think you're saying I'm young. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all we've got time for. That's what a great note to end on. Thanks. <laughs> As ever, you can send any thoughts or ideas you have to podcast at ajbell.co.uk, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Goodbye for now. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply. <laughs>